All right, and welcome to uh, this physics lecture over oscillations and waves. Now, I'm approaching this in two different ways this time. Um, if you are listening to this on the podcast, either through Spotify or Apple Podcasts, uh, I want you to be aware that there is a YouTube version of this lecture where you actually see the slides and me kind of teaching through this. If you're watching this on YouTube, be aware that there is an audio-only version on the podcast through Spotify or Apple Podcasts. So um, be aware I'm, I'm kind of attacking this in two different ways depending on exactly how you prefer to learn. So this chapter is all about uh, oscillations and waves. Now again, much like most of the content this year, this is stuff that you've covered in previous courses, specifically your freshman physical science class. Uh, but this time we're going to go, of course, in a little bit more depth and detail. So we're going to talk about oscillations, periodic motion, the pendulum, waves, wave properties, and how waves interact with each other. Anything that has a back and forth motion, anything that has a, a vibration to it is what we call oscillating motion or periodic motion. Um, the classic example is that of a simple pendulum like on a grandfather clock or if you've ever been to COSI, the giant pendulum they have up there. Any motion that repeats itself over and over is referred to as periodic motion. Um, in medicine, we look at an ECG or an EKG, an electrocardiogram, uh, that shows the repeating cycle of a person's heartbeat. That's a, that's a periodic motion. One of the key characteristics of periodic motion is something called the period. Now, we use capital T to indicate period. And period is the time is required to complete one full cycle of motion. Now, the SI unit for the period is the second. Easy. All right. So period, think about it like our school day is broken up into periods. How long are each period? Well, we measure it in terms of time, in terms of minutes. In waves, a period is uh, measured also in time, in seconds. It's how much time is required for one full cycle to complete. Now, there's another property of periodic motion that's really closely related to the period, and that's the frequency. Frequency is the number of oscillations that happen in a given amount of time, uh, how often something happens. So, for example, your heart beats 60 times per minute. That is your frequency, one cycle or one beat every second. Now, frequency is defined as the inverse of the period, or 1 over the period, or 1 over seconds. So these are inverse seconds. So period is measured in seconds. Frequency is measured in inverse seconds. Now, there was a guy by the name of Heinrich Hertz. Uh, he was a German physicist, and he's the one that came up with these ideas and to measure frequency and so we use the special unit hertz to measure frequency so hertz capital h little z is the unit that we use for frequency so hertz is equal to inverse seconds so one hertz is equal to one cycle per second or one inverse second high frequencies are measured in kilohertz 
or megahertz. All right, and you've probably heard of kilohertz or megahertz before in terms of radio stations. Uh, that's how we measure on a radio dial, whether you're listening to Sunny 95 or you're listening to 610 WTVN on the AM or FM radio dial. Those are hertz, kilohertz, megahertz. So here's just a few examples of uh, periods and frequencies of different things. Here's an example uh, going through a calculation. After walking up a flight of stairs, you take your pulse, observe that you have 82 heartbeats a minute. It wants to know what the frequency and what the period of your heartbeat is. Well, the period is how many beats per minute, all right? So, uh, or per second. We're, we're told it's 82 beats per minute. Uh, the frequency is 82 beats per minute or 1.4 hertz, taking the reciprocal of that, we find the period is 0.71 seconds. So frequency and period are inverses of each other. Um, one equals the inverse of the other. Now, one type of periodic motion of particular importance happens when a force is pushing or pulling an object. This is what we call um, periodic motion dealing with a spring or simple harmonic motion. So here we have uh, an object and if you see here, I'm going to draw on the screen here a little bit, we have this mass right here all right, attached to the spring and you notice that the spring is pulling in a, uh, a force in that direction. All right, So we have it and this dashed line here is our resting position. All right, so there's our resting position. So the spring pulls it back in this direction to a certain point, and then the spring recoils back, back here to our resting position. All right, and you can imagine this in your head, the, the spring and that mass going back and forth uh, constantly. So in the figure, um, our mass, our cart, is displaced a certain uh, amount, and then um, it goes down to that minimum. The spring recoils and comes back to equilibrium. Now, if we were to attach a uh, pin to that mass or that cart and had a piece of paper rolling underneath it, and you notice here, if we have a piece of paper rolling in this direction, right, as our spring is going back and forth, what happens is uh, we would get a drawing of a wave. And guess what? It would be a sine wave, just like you would see in geometry or trigonometry class. All right? And so when we look at that piece of paper and what our drawing would be, you would notice we would have that classic sinusoidal wave. And remember the parts from physical science of a wave. We have... Uh, the crest, we have the trough, we have the resting position. The distance from the resting position to the crest is the amplitude. Um, the distance between two peaks would be the wavelength and so on. So one of the equations, and our, in fact our really first equation that we have here, um, other than those inverse equations with period and frequency, is the period of a mass on a spring. 
So period is equal to 2 pi times the square root of mass divided by the spring constant. And if you'll remember when we looked at springs before, every spring has that kind of fudge factor called a spring constant. Still little k, the same unit we used before. Um, period is still measured in seconds, all right? So period is 2 pi times the mass times the square root of the mass divided by spring constant. So when we look at a pendulum, uh, instead of having a mass on a spring, we now have a mass on a rod or a string. And a pendulum is just a mass suspended by a light string or a rod of a certain length. The mass is what we call the bob, and it goes back and forth. We know what a pendulum looks like. Now, if a stream of sand leaks from the mass onto a moving strip of paper, as in the figure below, so as in uh, this figure right here, all right, what we have is uh, the motion of the pendulum would be very similar to what we saw with the mass on the spring. Okay? And if we come back here and look at figure C, we'll notice that the component of the weight acts in the direction of the equilibrium position. In other words, it acts as a restoring force. So we have this weight component, mg sine of theta. All right, mg sine theta. It acts as the restoring force, the force that's going to bring that pendulum back down to the bottom as it swings. So the period of the pendulum is going to look like the equation is going to look very similar to the period of uh, the mass on the spring. All right, we're going to have 2 pi times the square root. This time we're taking the square root of the length of the pendulum divided by acceleration due to gravity. Now notice what's not a part of that equation. All right, not the mass, nothing about... Um, the 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 arc of the pendulum nothing like that just the length of it just the length of the string and g 9.8 so the period of a pendulum depends only on the pendulum's length and the acceleration due to gravity not the pendulum bob's mass not the pendulum's amplitude so why uh, you would think that it would have something to do with mass or amplitude, that the larger mass would have a greater amplitude. It doesn't, all right? Why uh, the larger mass tends to move more slowly due to its inertia. On the other hand, the gravitational force acting on it is also greater. So these two actually cancel each other out. So the pendulum bob, as you increase the mass of that bob, what's happening? Well, it's going to move more slowly, right? It's not going to swing as fast. However, gravitational force, gravity is going to be acting on it with a greater force down. It, it's heavier, it's a greater mass, so there's a greater force of gravity pulling down on it. Acceleration due to gravity is still the same, 9.8, but mass times 9.8, that force of gravity, that weight force, is going to be greater because the mass is greater. So, why doesn't the pendulum's period depend on amplitude? A larger amplitude results in a larger restoring force, so the larger force causes the mass to move more rapidly. The speed of the mass increases just enough to make the pendulum cover a greater distance in precisely the same time as a pendulum with a smaller amplitude. Again, they cancel each other out.
So amplitude and mass have nothing to do with the period of a pendulum. It's just the length of the string. So that begs the question, why does the length of the string have anything to do with it? Well, if we take a look, let's take a look at two pendulums, different lengths, same angle. So we have here, and I'm going to draw on the screen yet again, we have here um, this one, and we notice our angle is going to be the same for both. But notice that our length is definitely different between the two. So what is that going to cause when we get these pendulums moving? Both masses experience the same force of gravity, pulling them backward towards the same vertical position. They're going to have the same acceleration. But the longer pendulum has farther to travel to reach equilibrium, so the period is going to be longer. Take a look. Look at how much longer this guy has to travel to get back to that resting position than this guy. Do you see it? This guy has a shorter amount of distance to travel back to this imaginary dotted line, that equilibrium position. Shorter amount of time means shorter amount of time, a shorter period. This guy has a longer distance to travel, so he's got a longer period. That's why the length of the pendulum affects the period, but nothing else. Uh, your legs act as pendulums when you walk, all right? Not only for us, but for other animals, too. So the longer an animal's legs, say a giraffe, the more time it takes to complete one step forward. The length of each step is greater. So the net effect is that animals with longer legs have greater walking speeds. And this is why people with long legs generally do well in track. All right? Because longer legs, they're going to have uh, greater speeds. They're covering a greater distance. Now, pendulums, masses on a spring, that's all oscillating motion. But when we get right down to it, it's, it's a wave, all right? Um, just like an ocean wave or a light wave, waves. A wave is a disturbance that propagates or transmits energy from place to place. Now, the big part about this is that waves do not move matter. They only move energy. And you say, no, that doesn't make sense. You know, you watch waves crash up on, on the seashore. You know, that's moving water. It's, it's a wave. It's moving. Well, the wave itself is moving, but the ocean isn't. The best way I can give you an example of this is imagine yourself in a giant stadium, all right, and they're doing the wave. So you're watching it and you're watching the wave as it comes across the stadium and it's getting closer and closer and closer to you and finally it's your turn to stand up. What do you do? Well, you stand up and then you sit right back down. You don't stand up and move over a seat and sit down. No, nobody does that, right? Because the wave only moves energy. It doesn't move matter. The people aren't changing the seats. They're staying put. They're just bobbing up and down, right? Water's doing the same thing in an ocean wave. With each ocean wave that crashes on the seashore, the ocean isn't getting closer to Ohio, right? The Virginia and the eastern seaboard isn't slowly being uh, erased with every wave that comes aboard. No, of course not, right? The energy is being transferred, but the matter itself isn't, 
All right. So waves only carry energy. They don't carry matter. So waves can be categorized by the way they move particles. And there's two main categories of waves that we'll talk about. This first one here that, we, that we're looking at, the one we generally think of as a wave, is called a transverse wave. All right. And a transverse wave moves particles in uh, perpendicular or at right angles to the motion of the wave. And sometimes that confuses people. So when we look here, the hand is moving up and down, but yet what direction is the wave moving? The wave is moving in this direction. Notice that's a right angle between those, those motions. All right? They're perpendicular to one another. So that's what we mean by a transverse wave. So again, we already kind of went through the different points on a transverse wave as far as crest and trough and all. Now, not all waves are transverse. Uh, there's another kind called a longitudinal wave. All right? A longitudinal wave, the best example is a sound wave. Sound waves are longitudinal. Sound waves move parallel to the uh, motion. So what we have here is we have this hand that's sending a pulse down the, uh, the slinky here, the spring. And what happens is that spring or that slinky is moving back and forth at the same time. Notice they're all in the same direction. There's no right angle here, right? So um, that is a longitudinal wave. So uh, the, the disturbance the surface of a pond produces a series of waves moving uh, away from uh, a center point. So if you put a stone in the middle of a pond and you watch those waves come out, all right, those are examples of both transverse and longitudinal waves. We find ocean waves and water waves do both at the same time. Uh, another good example of that is imagine yourself in the middle of a lake on a rowboat. Right? and the waves are hitting your boat, what are you doing? You're not just going up and down, and you're not just going back and forth. You're kind of doing a circular motion as those waves are hitting the boat. Those are both transverse and longitudinal waves. Again, a good picture of this here on the PowerPoint. Uh, think about how they give an example of a uh, cork floating up and down good picture here of different parts of the wave. We have the crests, we have the troughs, we have the amplitude, we have wavelength. Um, excellent diagram right there. So speed of a wave, this is uh, one of our last you know, big equations here. Uh, speed of a wave is equal to the wavelength, which is the uh, lowercase lambda. The speed of a wave is lambda divided by the period, divided by t. So there's a relationship that exists between wavelength, period, frequency, speed. All these things interact with one another. Um, waves reflect. Um, this is most evident in sound waves or light waves. The reflection of a sound wave is an echo. The reflection of a light wave is, well, a reflection. Waves will interact with each other. Waves sometimes uh, interrupt each other. They overlap each other. All right? And this is called interference. Waves collide. So we have something called constructive interference and destructive interference. Here on the left we see constructive interference. Two waves are coming at each other 
And what happens is the crest of one wave meets up with the crest of another. And so when two crests come together and meet with each other, that adds the wave together. We get a bigger wave out of that. And that's constructive because you're constructing another wave. Destructive interference is the opposite. We have the crest of one wave with the trough of another. They're coming together and they cancel each other out. Destructive interference is that one. And uh, to be honest, that's about it. So um, that's a really quick overview of waves. This PowerPoint will be posted on Classroom. Um, so I hope you take the time to either review this video or listen to the podcast again. And if you have any questions, let me know.